Hi, I'm Tim Robinson, Editor-in-Chief of Aerospace, and with me today is Deputy Editor Steve Bridgewater and Features Editor Bella Richards. Hi, guys. Hi, guys. Uh, welcome to another episode of Aerospace No Tam, uh, another edition of our regular series of podcasts looking at global aviation, aerospace and space news, and what we have upcoming in the next issue of Aerospace, February 2024. Uh, in the magazine, we cover everything from GA to spaceflight, from airliners to airports, from air law to eVTOLs. Uh, so, what, as we start off, uh, our usual uh, look around the rumours too. Uh, where have we been? What have we been up to? Anyone been anywhere interesting? Steve, you've well, been 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 yeah, to Duxford. Yeah, it's been the Christmas um, shutdown and obviously the short months with getting magazines out to print post Christmas. But I managed a a traditional mid Christmas and New Year trip to the Imperial War Museum at Duxford. It's um, something a group of friends and I've done now for about 25 years and um, Duxford in the last few years have started to introduce their winter exhibition in that period. So this year it was Spies in the Sky, the story of aerial reconnaissance, which was really interesting. Mm. So they've got a, a selection of photo recce aircraft in the conservation part of the main super hangar at Duxford in the airspace hangar. Um, sure. So a couple of um, Spitfire PR-11s and the Lysander. But what I was really interested in was Sydney Cotton's Lockheed Electra. So oh, yes, that, yeah. But for those that don't know, Sydney Cotton, in, inventor of the Sidcot flying suit, amongst other things, uh, pioneer of, um, of British aerial reconnaissance and actually flew this aircraft in civilian markings as a civilian aircraft it, over Germany on the, uh, the the lead up to World War Two, photographing um, German troop buildups and emplacements and things. So it's nice to see that aeroplane recently been restored by Richard Grace's air leasing um, organisation at Cywell for Graham Peacock. Uh, and that's flying now. And that's it's such a beautiful aeroplane in itself. But what I think there's lots of talk of, of iconic British aeroplanes, the things that have, have, have had a huge impact on the history of British aviation. But that aeroplane. That particular airframe, I think, is just such a an mm. important yeah. artifact in itself. So yeah, really a really good trip to Duxford. And it, is it, am I right to think it's got hidden camera compartments? Has yeah, it's got sliding um, sliding hatches in in the belly and around the aeroplane. That um, mm. so or to, to all intents and purposes, it looks like a stock twin engined Lockheed Twelve, um, but it was actually a clandestine spy aircraft. And there's, there are stories of, of Cotton actually flying with senior German military officials in the aeroplane and then not knowing that he's reaching down by the side of his seat to <laughs> press, press the camera trigger. So uh, I'm not sure how much of that is urban myth and how much is true, but I'm inclined to believe the majority of it and a great character. And it, if ever an aeroplane was, you know, really needed preserving in the UK, I think that that is such a vital aeroplane. So, yeah, re really interesting trip. So Fantastic. apart from that, no, it's been, um, it's been, you know, Christmas break and then back to work. So obviously, you know, we, we lose a, a week with Christmas. So uh, getting the magazine out has been priority since then. Mm -hmm. Yeah. OK, so I haven't been uh, anywhere interesting. Uh, I don't think you and Bella No. OK, <laughs> so. we're not as cool as Steve. <laughs> no, so uh, but from World War Two uh, recce to uh, aviation news. So um, 
wow, uh, past couple of weeks <laughs> we're here and uh, past three weeks and it's been just a non-stop. So, I mean, where, yeah. gosh, where should we just start? Shall I, shall I start off at the yeah, start of the year? Yeah, go for it, Tim. Oh. Yeah, start of the year. So, obviously, we had uh, the the first hull loss of an Airbus A350 uh, at uh, Tokyo. Uh, Japan Airlines, uh, obviously, it was a very, very dramatic uh, incident. Uh, almost 400 people got off that that, that airliner, and uh, unfortunately, five out of six of a Japanese uh, Coast Guard uh, de Havilland eight dash uh, eight didn't weren't so lucky. Um, and and what's incredible, obviously, first first hull loss of an A350, so that's the note yeah. in itself. Uh, and also a, a fully composite, you know, the first yeah. loss of a, of a large, fully composite, um, you know, aircraft. So the the, um, the data from that will be very, very useful indeed in, in terms of aircraft design, uh, emergency procedures, evacuation. In fact, we've got a, a blog that's just gone live uh, yeah. today uh, from uh, Nick Butcher on the Inside blog. Uh, well worth a read. Uh, because they've been doing a lot of work on fire and evacuation procedures, and what's uh, what's very interesting about this is that they, um, you know, they got everybody off in the in 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 record time, um, and um, yeah, uh, what, what looked like an absolute inferno, and mm. um, you know, people people weren't leaving their baggage. That has been a big thing in in previous incidents sort of you know you've seen sort yep. of uh, diversions and, and 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 sort of engine fires and and, and people have been coming out with with uh, roller bags and things like that and uh, so um it, it was it was reassuring or a relief in, in a way uh that uh, things worked as uh mostly worked as it is expected there but obviously um caveat there is is we want to wait till the accident uh, um yeah. you know investigation comes out accident review first the first hot takes are usually wrong um yeah and the, the other thing that, that that struck me with that is uh, runway incursions so around yeah. 12 months uh, earlier there was a spate of runway incursions in the us uh, there was a couple of close calls the faa got uh, um you know kind of shocked the faa in, in, into action and they they formed us sort of like an airport task force to go around and to, to the airports and say hey hey guys what's happening here what what, what what's go exactly going on so uh, it's kind of um interesting that's re-emerged on the other side of the world uh, in a way uh of uh the the airport you know runway incursion uh, uh sort of challenge yeah. Uh, yeah i i think this this story is really interesting because of course not to diminish the fact that lives were lost but in some way the news is you know often talking about these big crashes that we've seen in the you know any year and where you know a lot of people's lives are lost and of course that's horrible and then you know, I think that's what a lot of the public thinks about, but it's it's somewhat reassuring, as you said, to see something clearly went right when, you know, everyone, at least from the, the larger aircraft, got out safely when it could have been something much worse. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. and so it, it is reassuring. As you said, we're still waiting to see what actually happened um, and how it essentially worked so well. But it is really good to see that there are cabin crew that are trained to deal with these things and have been trained well to be in the face of such a scary incident, I'm sure, and to see everyone got out safely. And yeah, as you said, the luggage, clearly those things that we often get sick of seeing the safety briefings at the beginning, yeah. they clearly work. Yeah. <laughs> so 
Yeah. So they, they they work if you if you if you follow the instructions, isn't it? But I think the the other interesting thing that will come out of this is the fact, as you said at the start, Tim, that it's the first um, composite hull loss. Yeah. So they, yeah, obviously the aeroplane has been certified. We know that it's safe, but there'll be a huge amount of data now that we can get from how this yeah. aircraft. Yes. did catch fire how the fire spread which you can only real really gain in a real world environment so you know with the you know the amount of dreamliners and a350s that are in a in service and b on order i think this is going to be you know it's it's obviously it's tragic there's been an accident but if yeah. there's a plus side it gives us a huge amount of data to analyze Absolutely. now yeah. yeah um so talking of aviation safety and and and, and really sort of I suppose public perceptions. Uh, uh, Steve, uh, what, what else happened uh, uh, in the past couple of weeks? Um, Boeing have had more more woes with the Max, haven't they? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And as I'm sure everybody is aware, you cannot escaping it. I was chatting to people on the train earlier this week, and uh, as soon as they find out what you do for a living, the first question they have is, "What's going on with the Boeing Max?" So it's, it's sort <laughs> yeah. of transcended now from, yeah, the aerospace industry talking about it to the general public. So um, yeah. earlier this year. Um, 737 Max 9 uh, had a door blowout um, and made a successful emergency landing back at Portland. Nobody um, gets seriously injured. A couple of iPhones sucked out over the side, um, which remarkably, I don't know if you saw, but the iPhones still worked when they picked them up off the floor, which I think was a, oh, really? a, a yeah for a, a, a good advert for, for that smartphone technology that you can drop it from. I don't know, I can't drop my phone from my pocket without it breaking. I'm not sure how that <laughs> one broke from 18,000 feet and still worked. Um, but um, yeah, the uh, the issue here again, quality control um, components made um, by sub subcontractors. Uh, in this case, again, Spirit Aero Systems. Uh, it's mm -hmm. the uh, it's the plug which goes into the emergency exits. Different type of Max, uh, depending on the passenger uh, seating configuration, have different numbers of emergency exits. And on the nine, this was not needed as an exit, so it got a door plug in it. But uh, the the fasteners have uh, clearly there is an issue there. The investigations under the way underway with the the FAA and the NTSB. But just yeah. more more woe for um, for Boeing. And you know, as mm. we uh, we just closed for print with the magazine yesterday, it's been extended now from ju just not just the Max Nine, but onto the seven three seven nine hundred um, NG as well. So yeah. clearly, you know. Boeing have held their hands up. Dave Colhoun has been quite upfront and quite, you know, that ad admitted that this this is a problem. We need to address this. And um, I think his words to Spirit were, were "We're in this together." So it'd be interesting to uh, yeah, I mean, to follow other, how this goes. The other interesting thing there is that the FAA is coming quite hard on them. Very uh, uh, um, it, it wasn't just a case of um, you know um, go away and sort this out. That they they you know they they've opened an audit on it. Um, <laughs> um that you know they've expanded the investigation if you like they're talking about taking the the final checks uh, moving the back final checks back into the faa and not letting uh you know manufacturers sort of self-certify if you like boeing has also appointed a, a special safety advisor who um comes from the u.s navy's uh his admiral comes up from the u.s navy's nuclear uh submarine or nuclear propulsion and they are the you know they, they are the, the high gods of quality assurance safety mm -hmm. in the us uh you know obviously nuclear reactors on ships uh so 
Um, and, and, and like you say, I mean, the, the, the public perception, the, the public perception is that they, they, you know, Max obviously was in the headlines for all the wrong reasons. They, they kind of uh, thought they'd got over that. Uh, would you buy a show? I mean, you were there, Bella. They were, they were doing well in the, in the sales. Yeah. Sales were coming back. They thought they'd got, you know, we, we thought, oh, hang on, Boeing's got their mojo back and mm-hmm. we've, we've got this again. And now it's cast doubt on on the the, the whole brand uh, uh, yeah. yet again. So, yeah. So watch this space, basically. Um, <laughs> what about uh, talking of space? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well done. <laughs> well done. Nice segue. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of space. Um, so NASA, I think on the 9th of January, announced um, that yet again uh, the Artemis program will be slipping a few more years, um, which I think essentially it's kind of sad news again because, you know, these things happen. But at the same time, their reasoning, and they've made that very clear, their reasoning to push it back is for safety. Um, and I think everyone can agree, you would, it's cliche to say, but it's better to be safe than sorry, you know. Um, and as we've seen, everything in terms of aviation and, and Boeing, I think we'd rather these things take longer um, and then it be safer in the end. And Anyway, so NASA revealed that um, they're now targeting September 2025 for Artemis II, which is the one that was actually supposed to happen in November, so almost a year later, um, which is where the astronauts would, you know, conduct a circumlunar flyby around the moon. Um, And then a year later, September 2026, will be the new date for Artemis III, which is obviously the big, big one where the astronauts will actually be landing on the moon um, again. And then I believe uh, Artemis 4, which is the first mission to the Gateway Lunar Station, remains on track for 2028. So I don't think that's um, changing date. Uh, but yeah, so NASA attributed the delay mostly for safety concerns with the Orion capsule, um, as well as development of the spacesuits and landers. Um, and Axiom actually recently just posted about their progress with the spacesuits, which I think is good because you hear that there's a delay and then you're like, oh, what's happening now? But it's good to see that Axiom, you know, uh, released some more news about where they're at with it. Um, so I think it's been a bit more transparent. But on on the other side, it's interesting. As this news came out, um, ex-NASA administrator Michael Griffin was at a house. So I think he was administrator in like 2006, 2000, between then 2008 or something like that. Um, and he was quite instrumental in the emergence of the new space era um he was at a house subcommittee recently uh on a hearing with nasa's artemis program and basically condemned the entire artemis program and said it's excessively complex unrealistically priced compromises crew safety really high risk um and it won't be completed in a timely manner and he um not in the i know out right not in the hearing but he has this whole plan um, pu- made public where he has this whole different plan. He doesn't agree with the commercial process of it and wants to go back to kind of NASA running everything and having Boeing, Lockheed Martin, all of, you know, Northrop Grumman um, getting astronauts back to the moon. And he thinks with his plan, they could get the US back on the moon in 2029. Um, so, yeah, it was really interesting, uh, a very intense view. I mean, a lot of people can be against the Artemis program. I don't think that's necessarily a, a weird stance, but I think coming from an ex-NASA administrator who was kind of big in the new space era, it's interesting that he's yeah. against the commercial. Yeah, anyways, it's quite interesting. 
So, so yeah, so I don't know. Get back on the moon in 2029 if you start from scratch now. I mean, uh, yeah, so the, stick, the sticking points then are, are spacesuits and we're also, uh, also I suppose, Starship, because you, you've got that, that refueling in an orbit. I mean, they, they, they've, SpaceX, I think, have said it's going to be, it's going to take 10 refuels yeah. in orbit, which has never been done before. You've got to, you've got to, basically uh you know kind of de-risk that technology it's it's a bit like the it's a bit like the docking of the uh the gemini's and the uh, the the genus um mm -hmm. you know back in the day they had to kind of do the in orbit uh docking and rendezvous in earth orbit before you you then yeah uh, you then kind of go for apollo and the moon yeah yeah absolutely right okay uh so okay. Uh, it's uh, it's also been a, a busy month in uh, in defence uh, news. Uh, well, um, good grief. Um, Where should we start? Uh, so in Ukraine, we've uh, we've had the loss uh, of a, uh, a really high uh, value asset uh, in uh, from a, a Russian asset, A fifty U, AWACS plane. Uh, this was this was uh, doing its own business over the uh, over part of the Black Sea, Sea of Azov. Uh, and it was shot down, uh, mm -hmm. and um, uh, another uh, a plane IL twenty two M, so like a, a command post, was also uh, was also targeted as well. Uh, that recovered mm -hmm. to, to 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 base with casualties on board, and uh, looks like the Ukrainians uh, managed to target it with a long range SAM. Um, mm -hmm. So um, hundred and hundred to hundred and forty kilometers away from the front line. So the Russians. Uh, I think they'd probably assume that they were they were pretty safe over the, out, out there, um, weren't in any sort yeah. of danger, yeah. and um, you know, kind of but targeted. And there's, there's some speculation they were they were pairing the, a Patriot missile with a Russian radar, and this was guiding it on. And therefore, the uh, the AWACS crew didn't have any a warning until it was far too late. Um, mm. right. So, uh, and, and previous also the. Um, the, the Ukrainians had hit, uh, I think they'd hit radar sites in Crimea uh, and that had pushed, obviously, uh, reduced the radar coverage on the mm -hmm. Russian side. So they they decided to move this 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 uh, AWACS plane and that, that, that their orbit kind of uh, closer in. So again, um, you know, a significant shoot down. It's, a, it's yeah. a one of only, I think, eight, seven okay. now. Um, and uh, you know a more uh, more sort of um, uh, kind of uh, you know sort of uh, lessons there for people about uh, about sort of vulnerability of large platforms, yeah. which uh, yeah. we'll come to later. Yeah. Um, Steve, talking of large platforms, Beluga. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, yeah, thank you very much. I won't take that personally. Um, <laughs> the um, and again, there is a link here to Ukraine. Uh, one of the news stories that stuck out to me in the news this month was um, the use of Airbus Belugas. So Airbus, as we know, have used their Belugas now for many years to move components around between uh, sites in Germany and UK and France. Um, Airbus bought out the new Beluga XL, and that's been working uh, since 2019. So they've got a fleet of the earlier Belugas, which are the... Um, the, uh, the the smaller aircraft and um, with the, the the fallout of Ukraine and the unavailability of the the big Antonov um, aircraft both from Ukraine mm. and uh, because they're not available and the Russian ones because of sanctions there is a gap in the market for moving large cargo around so 
Airbus have actually got an AOC now, an Air Operator Certificate for what they call Airbus Beluga Transport. So they're looking to uh, to, to use these aircraft to replace AM124s, IL-76s, things like that would that would previously have uh, flown big cargo. As, as um, regular listeners know, I live up in Derbyshire, so I'm within the circuit at East Midlands Airport. So it used to be frequent occasions that you would see these coming in and picking up aero engines from Rolls-Royce. Yeah. Um, whereas, you know, you know, there is a, a need for that. So it's interesting to see Airbus diversifying into effectively creating its own cargo line. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, there's, there's, uh, they've, they've done that before in the, 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 the previous fleet. I mean, there's been occasional uh, things where I think they've, they've, they've moved a giant painting or satellites. But this is this is putting on a, on a sort of a regular basis. And as you say, there's a, there's a gap in the market there of, uh, uh, you know, between, um, you know, uh, obviously Russian Russian uh, outsized cargo carriers. Uh, and it, it, it's, it's quite it's quite interesting how much. Uh, how much military forces have just sort of depended on this as well, you know, for, for putting helicopters, you know, taking helicopters and things like that, putting putting yeah. uh, the, um, those around in the outside cargo. Um, you know, if you if you're like, because not everybody has got the airlift capacity of you know the U.S. Air Force where they've got uh, you know C-17s on 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 standby. Yeah. Um, Bella, over to you. What else have you uh, spotted this month? Yeah, um, the long-awaited United Launch Alliance Vulcan finally completed its first um, certification flight, which uh, was really excited. I um, <laughs> I followed this random Twitter X account called it's it's called Has Vulcan Launched Yet, <laughs> and just every now and then it'll just post no. <laughs> that's, that's its only <laughs> caption, and and everyone obviously <laughs> knows what it means, um, and. And I think the most satisfying part of this launch was that finally I saw has Vulcan launched yet? Yes. <laughs> and th- they've actually now completely changed it to has Nuglan launched yet? So completely different. But yeah, um, it was a really successful launch. Um, and, you know, it's it's very long awaiting. But not to overshadow uh, the successful launch, but in some way I feel like it has. The uh, privately developed astrobotic peregrine lunar lander that, you know, was supposed to land on the moon um, and... Uh, for reasons I'm sure everyone knows from a fuel leak, uh, wasn't able to. I think it, their transparency with yeah. The, yeah. their, I don't want to say failure because ultimately there's still a lot of data to get from these um, kind of failed missions, um, but their transparency uh, has been something that I think a lot of companies should learn from. Yeah. I think the space industry is often criticized for being really um secretive and just that not and i don't think it's intended to be secretive but kind of you know when a failure happens there's no updates or people are left in the dark um but astrobotic i'm sure if you were following them i think they did what like 19 updates within a couple days uh following i guess the failure just telling the public absolutely everything that was going on and i think a company that may have not been known you know obviously the vulcan was the main news so people may have not even realized astrobotic has now um, kind of made a name for itself because they 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 worked it out so well. You know, they the failure ended up being something that I think a lot of people will look back on and remember, hey, we need to be transparent. And I think it helps with, you know, people who think the space industry is so risky. It's always dampened by the fact that companies are very secretive about what's going on. But this is a good example to say, no, we're going to show you what's going on and see that even a failure shouldn't be considered always a failure because there's a lot that can come from this. Um, and as you can see, there's going to be a lot of data. And so 
yeah, I thought it was it was really cool to see a company do that. And I, I think a lot of the public was really impressed by that. Um, yeah. And yeah, so. Uh, it's far, far better to get people on board that way, isn't it? If you're if you're exactly. if you're if you're transparent rather than just uh, something's gone wrong, uh, you know, transmission ends, screen goes blank, um, and then uh, you know you you, uh, you know, I think they they got a lot of people rooting for them. Uh, Absolutely. And uh, and now it's 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 burnt up over the it burnt up over the Pacific. Yeah. Uh, it yeah. Been, yeah. I think it was near Vanuatu or something yeah. um, on the 18th of January. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay. So, anything else caught your eye? Yeah. Well, we've got more defence. Uh, so the uh, the Middle East uh, has uh, Middle East Red Sea. Uh, that is all. Um, yeah. Uh, well, I'm trying to explain that in. In we've only got how long we got? We've only got an, an hour in <laughs> at the moment. Uh, so yeah, we've had um, over the past couple of weeks. We've obviously the situation has escalated there with the Houthis, uh, rebels in 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 Yemen. Uh, they've been targeting uh, commercial shipping uh, and also warships there. Uh, so we've seen the first attack on on you know large scale attack on uh, a, a you know a, a Royal Navy warship since the Falklands War. Yeah. Uh, uh, and that was is uh, it HMS Diamond? Yeah. Uh, so. Uh, and they were using uh, uh, Sea Viper and uh, and the, and a gun. So this this whatever was coming in there, close in weapon system was 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 very very close. Yeah. Um, and obviously the U.S. Uh, it was targeting U.S. Um, uh, warships as well. Uh, we've put in airstrikes uh, against um, where the kind of drones uh, uh, and uh, missiles. There's also a. a, a Ballistic anti-ship missiles being lobbed. Yeah. Uh, all the, these, a lot of these are being provided by uh, Iran, uh, mm -hmm. who, who backs these rebels. Uh, but they're also making the drones uh, kind of locally. Mm. Um, so I think that I think that you know the 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 challenge is there is is because it's such a dispersed. Um, Target set, you know, you're, you're not going after one command center. It's not, a, it's not a state. You're, you're, you're fighting there, and these drones can be put, put together in, you know, someone's garage, launched off yeah. in the general direction. Um, how do you, how do you kind of counter that? Uh, and it's, it's having a massive effect on shipping. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, shipping is now diverting. So, you remember uh, a, a couple of years. Well, we had the COVID thing that affected supply chains. We had uh, the container ship that got stuck in the Suez, yeah. And lo and behold, we're back there again. Everybody's everybody's got yeah. come back, and and and, and you think we're yeah. trying to get uh, things sorted. And this this impacts the aerospace industry as well in terms of spare yeah. parts uh, yeah. and, and components. And lo and behold, we're back to um, what's happening there. So, um, and it seems to be expanding. So, uh, you know, uh, the Iranians were striking uh, targets in Iraq, uh, Syria, and uh, also Pakistan. They, they were hitting yeah. the, 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 where they said they've got anti-Iranian forces, including mm -hmm. a U.S. base. Yeah. Uh, so this is a significant, uh, and this, yeah. this U.S. base uh, had come under attack. It sounded like a, 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 a quite significant attack with, uh, with um, you know, sort of missiles and rockets, uh, and they were mm -hmm. launching. I don't know if they were launching Patriots to defend themselves, but there were some Americans, uh, you know, kind of injured in this with uh, yeah. brain concussion. So where this goes from now, I'm not entirely sure, but it, it yeah. is. It is sort of like well, worryingly spiraling out of control. 
I noticed this morning uh, as we record this, the uh, Americans have now given this an operational name. So it looks like we're in this for the long run. I think it's the Operation Poseidon Archer right. is the title given to this now. So this is more now than a uh, a single one-off strike. Um, so, so yeah, it's going to be interesting to watch how this develops over the the coming weeks and months. Yeah. So, uh, what, what else have you seen then, uh, Steve? Um, well, we're, we're seven stories in. I haven't talked about a GA aeroplane <laughs> yet, so I should probably wow. do that, shouldn't I? Um, there was a lot of hype uh, earlier this month about Cirrus unveiling what they were promising was going to be the, a revolution in light aircraft. Uh, which transpired to be the the G7, the uh, the generation seven of their familiar SR20 and SR22 aeroplanes. So these are four seat, fixed undercarriage, single propeller, um, very modern aeroplane. I mean, I, th- these are probably about um, came in the late 90s, I, I guess, at a, a at a rough estimate when it was first introduced. And it really it the the Cirrus revolutionised general aviation. It, yeah, we went away from yeah the the, the Cessna Piper model of, of, of mm. sort of fifty year old metal aeroplanes into the Cirrus, which was an all composite designed to have a cabin that closely resembled a car in terms of levels of comfort. I uh, many years ago introduced Alan Clapmeyer, who was um, one of the Clapmeyer brothers who designed the Cirrus, and I remember one of the comments he made to me. He said. Uh, why can you get in a car and the air vent blows air on you when you get in an aeroplane and it doesn't? And it's little things like that. If you uh, if you own your own aeroplane, you, you, you've probably got a reasonable car that gets you to the airfield. So why would you want to get in an aeroplane yeah. that doesn't have the same level of uh, yeah. luxury? So, <laughs> Good point. G- yeah. yeah, so the G7 takes that to a new level now with you know, greater avionics. No major um, revolutions other than you know 12-inch screens or optional 14-inch uh, glass screens in the cockpit. Uh, and lots of refinements to make the systems easier to work uh, to work, but also to help the owner transition onto the Cirrus Vision Jets, which is their uh, their single engine personal jets. So clearly uh, right. they have a, a business strategy here in that you will having uh, got in your your, your four seat piston engine propeller aeroplane. Ultimately, you will want to progress onto the jet. So they're trying in the same way that Airbus cockpits are very standard. They're doing this now so that it will be less of a jump to go from the piston aeroplane into the uh, oh, yeah. into the into the vision jet. And uh, sure. the thing that also amused, I saw some some reports online. Um, yeah, I think it was Jeremy Clarkson that once said that um, whenever there's a new car comes out, there's always a comment about it, and it's got a new cup holder. And the Cirrus, the, the G7, it's got a new cup holder. So <laughs> they are very much following the automotive uh, model when it comes to marketing. So uh, yeah. Um, so I'm looking forward to seeing that aeroplane at some point this year. Um, I've flown a couple of Cirruses over the years. They're, they're, they're real hot ships, nice aeroplanes. Um, and of course, it was the aeroplane that introduced the ballistic recovery yeah. system into the to the, the the production of light aircraft market. So if it all goes pear-shaped, you pull the handle and float down underneath the parachute. So that's um, the uh, that was their USP and something which they've, they've carried forward 20 plus years now. So, yeah, oh, nice, nice to see you get so, a refresh then. Uh, yeah, Bella. Airlines, what's been happening in airlines? Yeah, for once I'm not going to talk about space. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, um, this story uh, has been a, a long time coming, I feel like. Um, the JetBlue and Spirit Airlines saga, merger, whatever, whatever you want to call it, um, for a couple of years uh, that has been emerging has finally been blocked by a judge Um Basically, it was a 3.8 billion deal for JetBlue to acquire Spirit Airlines. I'm sure everyone knows this. Um, but yeah, uh, not long after that was announced, the US 
Justice Department sued um, JetBlue for this because the, there's, I think, a lot of reasons, but the main reason is that it's going to be completely anti-competitive because the two companies wanted to become, I think, like the fifth largest airline yeah. and uh, the U.S. Justice Department's kind of stance has been it's just going to get rid of cheaper um, airfares for people who rely on spirits, uh, you know, cheap, cheap flights. Um, and so finally, after a couple of years, uh, the judge said, no, nope, uh, it's blocked now. And because the low price model would obviously be harmed. And I'm sure everyone can expect JetBlue and Spirit completely disagreed with this. And I think they're actually considering an appeal because in their mind, um, the deal would enable more competition with the larger airlines who obviously dominate yeah. the market in and fact, there's yeah. kind of no, no room for them. Um, but yeah, and, and this has been a long time coming. You know, if people don't remember, this actually started when Spirit and Frontier were going to merge. And then JetBlue kind of swept in and said, hey, yeah, we've yeah. actually got a better offer. Um, interestingly, well, I guess it's probably expected for a lot of people. The deal has been a massive, has been considered a massive win for JetBlue. A lot of analysts um, have said this was going to be a bad idea. And that was clear because their shares like jumped a lot the day after the, yeah, the yeah. judge blocked. And then Spirit's <laughs> share sadly plummeted almost by 50%. Um, and analysts are saying, you know, that Spirit should file for Chapter 11. Um which is sad, but I mean, hopefully that would help them get back stronger later. But it, it, you know, it's who who knows how it's going to happen. Are, um, are they going to appeal? This is a quick. A quick uh, I've uh, only seen that they're considering it. I, I'm right. not sure if it's actually if it's actually a motion or anything. They said they've wanted to, so I wouldn't be surprised if they did. Um, but yeah, I I'm glad that's kind of settled. I mean, obviously there's going to be a lot more if they appeal. Um, I, I mean, I don't know what my stance is on it, but I. I think I'm glad it's finally this finally progressed with you know how it's going to end up. So okay, right. Well, um, the so final bit of uh, before we 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 take a break. Uh, the final bit of uh, uh, aviation news is uh, the F-16 is 50. Hmm. Uh, yeah. 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 50, and it still it still looks like it's a space age craft today, doesn't it? Yeah, nifty at 50. Uh, so uh, it's, got a, it's got a little bit of middle-aged spread uh, and uh, it's got, uh, you know, conformal fuel tanks uh, and uh, lumps and bumps and all the rest of it. Uh, but it's still, it's now the world's most popular jet fighter. Yeah. On. And, and still in production after 50 and years. And still in you? production. And they've, they've still got, uh, there's still a backlog. There's still people want it. Uh, obviously, Ukraine, uh, people have been, you know, the, the Ukrainians have been asking for it since, since well, since the invasion began, began really. Mm. Um, and it's still, you know, the, a, I suppose a, a, an example, if you get it right at the beginning, um, yeah. something yeah. will last a, a long time. Very long so, time. Um, yeah. It's been a very adaptable aeroplane. Yeah. Uh, we, we've got a blog on online, one of our Royal Aeronautical Society Insight blogs at the moment yep. on looking back at 50 years of the F-16, also including some of the of the, uh, the the research, the weird and wacky projects and some that never got off the drawing board. So, um, yeah, also interesting. Hopefully, hopefully people will find that interesting. Yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, uh, join us after the break and we'll be uh, we're looking at what's in the upcoming issue of Aerospace. Welcome back. 
to uh, the second half of uh, this episode of uh, Airspace NOTAM. Um, so, what what have we got coming up in the February issue? Who wants to uh, who wants to start off? Shall I go first? It's been another it's another another jam packed issue, as we it say. Is, every month, it but is. It really is. Every month. We, just, <laughs> we need more pages. We really need more pages to put this stuff in. Um, I, I'm going to stick on form um, because it's actually a GA article which I want to talk about, which was uh, written by I know shock horror um, by uh, Chris Wright of our GA group, um, um, and it's a report from our light aircraft design conference earlier this year, our GA uh, main GA event. Uh, which took place at Fort Hamilton Place. Uh, sorry, late it was November last year, so late last year, and it's looking at um, yeah a number of of developments within the the general aviation world, um, both on a regulatory format and also aircraft in production. So let's look at uh, it's just a horrible word, but electronic conspicuity, which is one I can never quite get my teeth around. Um, so the importance of that. Um, there's obviously lots of grants which have been in place for. Uh, light aircraft owners to put um, EC units in their yeah. aircraft to make them more more uh, more visible to air traffic and to so it's obviously something which is going to become more and more important as we uh, we evolve the urban air mobility landscape. Um, but then at the other end of the spectrum, uh, one of the group members at the conference was talking about uh, an Avro 504, which he is restoring. It's an original aeroplane um, and it flew one of the very first commercial services in the world in 1920 uh, on yeah. Avro 504 on floats out of Eastbourne. Mm-hmm. Uh, that aeroplane has been because and it would have originally had a, a Lerone rotary engine on, which is thrown castor oil all over the aeroplane. The wood on this is so well preserved because it's been soaked with castor oil. So a lot of the original wood is being used on the restoration. However, yeah. as I'm sure listeners are aware, rotary engines are a very expensive. B have a, a very very finite life and are very difficult to use. So um, just looking at actually re-engineering this Avro 504 with an electric motor. So um, I'm not quite sure how I feel about this from the historian <laughs> head on me, but I think it's an yeah. interesting experiment. Yeah, rather than the 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 burr, burr, burr of a rotary engine, it's going to be more of a more of a, a buzz, I think. But so I think that's that's worth a read, definitely. Tim, you uh, go. On. Possibly, possibly the, the thing to there would be to also fit it with loudspeakers, and then you could have like a, <laughs> uh, a, a you know the the original sound of a uh, uh, of a, yeah. a rotary, uh, yeah. you know, yeah, complete yeah. complete with blips. No, that's a really interesting idea, and, and uh, yeah, um, I think it is. You know, and uh, I mean, it just shows how the the aviation, the general aviation market within the UK is evolving. So we, um, Chris also looks at the latest six hundred kilogram microlites. So. Back when I first started in the industry, a, a microlite was a 450 kilo um, maximum all up weight. Pre that, it was even lighter, pre 99. Um, but now we're up to 600 kilos, which gives, well, there's a, you generally say the word microlite and you think of the, yeah, yeah. known as the flex wing. So, the, to put it crudely, the hang glider with an engine like thing. Yeah, at 600 kilos now, you've got a really high, relatively high performance. Um, two-seat going places aeroplane often made out of composites with ballistic recovery systems so yeah that market is really evolving particularly in Europe uh, but into the into the UK as well so there's a look at uh, the latest aircraft which have been approved in the UK and then a look at some of the aircraft which are being developed in the UK as well and 
we've spoken about it on the show before, but Nuncats out in Norfolk, which is Tim Bridges' company. Now, Nuncats stands for No Unnecessary Novelty Community Air Transport Services. Oh, my gosh, I didn't realise it stood for something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Nuncats yeah. is actually an acronym. So they have taken a, a, Zen, a Zen Air 750 and electrified it. So this is an aeroplane which is being aimed at the developing world. So flying perhaps doctors, medics, mm-hmm. medicines even around areas of Africa or India, which sometimes it could take three or four days to get somewhere if you need to get emergency medicine supplies in. Whereas an aeroplane, you can do it in maybe 30 to 40 minutes. And yeah, this yeah. is looking at having a, a series of um, solar powered charging stations that you can uh, can um, can yeah, fly one aeroplane, leave it under the, in, under the charging station, take the, ne- the aeroplane that's already charged to continue your trip along. So I think that's interesting and being developed in the UK, along with yeah. the, the Fafali, which is the Metal Seagulls concept, which is out in uh, in West Wales. So I just think it's an interesting to look at the development that's going on in the UK. I mean, we're, we're, we often bemoan the lack of aerospace industry in the UK. You look back at the 50s and you know, pre-Duncan Sands white paper at you know, all the manufacturers that we had. But we're getting to the point now where you know we've got vertical aerospace in the UK looking at the VTOL, you've got Metal Seagulls, you've got Nuncats, you've got lots of different organisations. And Bill Brooks, well-known British designer Bill Brooks, is working on the Skyfly, which is uh, the, uh, the yeah. ACK, which is their recreational eVTOL. So uh, Chris mm. touches on that as well. It's just, I think it's, it's nice to see some innovation and development within the sector and something that the UK can hang its hat on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, grassroots uh, grassroots innovation. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, what about you, Tim? What's caught your eye? I'm sure it's something much heavier than me. So, yeah. uh, so obviously, um, we were talking uh, there about um, about the news about the, the Russians losing a uh, AW uh, A50 uh, and obviously all the crew on board. So uh, these these large high value. Uh, high-value assets, HVAs, um, uh, tankers as well. You can probably go, go in there, ISR aircraft. Um, they're, they're increasingly vulnerable, uh, and particularly uh, also, you know, being on, on the ground. Uh, you know, you think of uh, think of air bases being targeted, but also in the air. Uh, Russians and the Chinese have been w- w- look, uh, working on what they term long-range AWACS killers uh, missiles. And the whole idea is there is just to use some sort of... Uh, Maybe maybe sort of a stealth fighter to get a little bit closer, launch the yeah. missile, take them out, and that's your that's your uh, remove of a, a force multiplier, which uh, NATO Western forces or Western trained forces kind of uh, rely on. So uh, this is an article from Dave Sloggett looking at um, well, why not um, why not uh, move uh, airborne early warning to space? So yeah. we've already got we've yeah. already got radar sats. So there's all you know there's SAR sats that that uh, look at um, uh, you know kind of uh, the ground stuff. Then that can, can do kind of uh, ground day and night, uh, whatever weather it is. And there's also uh, radar sats that have been used to track maritime yeah. shipping. So this would yeah. be the next uh, next sort of like, uh, step in this. Uh, obviously, aircraft faster moving, smaller, uh, but it would not only allow the um, you know, uh, remove the kind of vulnerability, but also uh, extend the radar horizon. So that's the whole point of putting a, a, a airborne early warning platform up. Uh, anyway, extends the radar horizon from the ground, put it in space, yeah. 
you've got a much, much uh, bigger coverage and therefore you can see things that are coming towards you faster. So hypersonics, for example, a lot yeah. of work being done at the moment on, on the hypersonic threat. How do you track them? Um, and um, obviously everything with this uh, in orbit is moving. It's moving fast, um, but with uh, you know machine learning, big data, AI, number crunching that is possibly something that the you know computers now could handle um and, and kind of fuse together to give you a uh you know this ultimate sort of uh, uh god's eye view of the, the yeah. battle space uh but oh uh, yeah really interesting article uh, yeah it's a great article by, a great uh, by mm -hmm. dave uh what about you bella yeah um well this article is very topical if we've been talking about fires in aircraft this month um, but this article by uh, Nicholas Butcher uh, is all about the kind of hidden in-flight fires that um, can obviously be a serious threat to aircraft and you know passengers on board. And kind of considering um, previous examples of in-flight fires that happened when uh, cabin crew weren't really able to locate it in time, um, and looking at how you know national aviation authorities need to have probably stricter training. Uh, for their crew to deal with such events. Um, and it's it's quite a in-depth analysis on uh, previous incidents um, and also kind of what's what's under the FAA and everything. And I, I, one thing that I thought was really interesting, uh, which it's kind of a good umbrella of, of why it's an important topic, is, you know, according to the FAA, the time for a hidden in-flight fire to become non-survival, survivable sorry is as little as seven minutes and only one third of such events would reach an aerodrome before the fire became uncontrollably uh, uncontrollable my goodness my english it's horrible yeah. <laughs> um but yeah and, and and additionally the faa states that delaying the aircraft's descent by only two minutes is likely to make the difference between a successful landing and evacuation and a complete loss of the aircraft and its occupants and and it's not it's not an article it's not a fear-mongering article or anything it's it's a it's a really um, kind of sobering uh, look at um, mm. you know what can become quite tragic if crew yeah. aren't trained well, yeah. and it's actually very topical. It, it's nothing to do with A three fifty, but it's you know it's a yeah. So it's, it's a very a, reason, it's a very reasoned discussion, is it from Nick? It's, it, uh, yeah, yeah exactly. Not, not inflammatory at all. Pardon the pun, but it's not a inflammatory scaremongering <laughs> story. Not at so, all. No. So interesting. I mean, that that article he's he's looking obviously uh, in-flight fires on on transport aircraft. Uh, we're not talking yeah. uh, lithium-ion uh, uh, you know batteries in passenger bags or yeah, the, yeah. the engine on fire. It's it's things within the uh, the wiring looms, uh, yeah. funny smells in the cockpit. I mean, you exactly. you you if you're if you're watching uh, flight radar or you're 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 on uh, X, you know you'll you'll hit sometimes see these things of you know smoke detected in cockpit, aircraft turns around, uh, diverts, uh, and yeah. things like that. But what I find interesting also is is uh, perhaps there is a read across to uh, the growing number of hybrid electric and eVTOL yeah. mm -hmm. uh, vehicles yeah. that are being designed as to, all right, what, what do you do there if you smell burning mm -hmm. in the cockpit yeah. or there's smoke coming out of one of the consoles or you think they're the batteries and, and therefore uh, where, you, where you might divert, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Have you got that? If you divert to somewhere, have they have the are the fire, uh, you know, are the fire and, and rescue people sort of like uh, trained yeah. as to this yeah. is a, a fully electric aircraft? Yeah. 
don't go uh, don't go firing the foam there looking for the looking for the fuel tanks as it ain't gotten on. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, you're going to have to. So slightly different procedures. Where are the batteries located? How do you get the, yeah. the, the passengers out? Uh, and, and 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 those sort of lithium iron i mean we've all seen pictures as well of the uh, you know uh, tesla's on fire electric cars uh, going yeah. up uh, so uh, kind of an interesting thing there of of, of uh, you know hidden flyers so maybe maybe there's something there for um, nick to get into his teeth in uh, in the future yeah, yeah, yeah definitely absolutely. yeah definitely um, steve what about you what else what have you um, else in this issue there's a, an article that i've written for this article uh, for this issue actually which is um something's been in the cards for a while since i went out to japan in september and i was lucky enough to get an interview with shigeo watanabe who's the uh, deputy director general for the uh, aviation technology directorate of jaxa which is the japanese equivalent of nasa so effectively mr watanabe is in charge of their aerospace programs rather than their space programs um, really, really interesting talk. We yeah. did Q&A with him looking at some of the work which JAXA is doing at the moment. So they're working on quiet supersonic transport development, similar to the X-59, which was rolled out. Um, mm -hmm. uh, was it just before Christmas or just after, just after Christmas, wasn't it? Just the, after, uh, yeah, just after. So um, similar technology to that, but actually looking at creating a supersonic transport demonstrator as well as uh, purely a demonstrator. Um, Lots. Uh, they've got the Encore project where they're looking at using ceramics to create fan bladed engines, ways to improve efficiency um, and um, you know, reduce noise. A lot of, of noise reduction uh, research yeah. being done by JAXA at the moment, uh, but also propulsion <laughs> technology. So they've got a um, scheme where they're looking at hybrid electric and using conventional jet engines to drive the generation of electric propulsion which will then power electric motors on the back of an aeroplane so you've got that hybrid yeah. Uh, yeah. so it's got jet engines and electric ducted fans on the rear so lots of uh, technology which is um reasonably well advanced actually though there's some of these projects they've been doing for quite a long time um but i just want to 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 read a quote um which comes at the end from uh, from mr watanabe who says uh, we're already collaborating with organisations in the UK, but this is something we would like to explore further. We've many topics in mind for future research and the scope for further collaboration with industry and academia, particularly in the UK. So mm -hmm. a call to action really there for yeah. universities and industry in the UK to, to collaborate with Japan, which uh, yeah, is a real technological powerhouse and yeah. keen, keen to, to work with the UK and obviously, you know, that part of the GCAP project now. Yep. And, um, you know, so I think uh, future collaboration with with uh, with JAXA particularly, but Japan, I think is going to be a really interesting development for the UK. Yeah, yeah no, thought... that's, 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 that's very uh, interesting indeed. Uh, and especially yeah, with the, the GCAP link. Yeah, go, yeah. go Bella. I thought I, no, I was just going to say, <laughs> I thought it was a really good article, um, especially because I think most people, when you think of JAXA, naturally think of space. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it was cool that you highlighted uh, everything they're doing in, um, you know, aerospace. So it was really interesting. And, and it's the full gamut. It's everything from yeah. urban air mobility EV tolls through to yeah. sustainable flight and super, you know, future supersonic transport. So the, yeah. Yeah, their, their research is Very covers broad. such a wide, a wide, really broad and wide spectrum. Mm. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. So, um uh, whose turn is it? I forgot. Is it Bella? Is it you? Um, I don't know. Yeah. Well. Um, so. So. Uh, yeah. So. What else we got in this issue? Uh, so. Um, seaplanes. Seaplanes are back. Yes. 
Yeah. are surging back. Um, <laughs> so new interest in 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 uh, seaplanes and amphibians. So this is driven by, being driven by a couple of things really. Is is, is first off is is uh, particularly in Asia Pacific, Indo Pacific is the uh, defence uh, driving defence sort of like thinking. Uh, the idea of supplying, uh, you know, kind of remote islands, almost sort of island hopping kind of mm -hmm. type uh, warfare yeah. or uh, just moving stuff around, you know, moving yeah. around stuff around. And, uh, you know, and so people are now the US now is particularly interested in things like uh, winging ground effect vehicles mm -hmm. or large seaplanes, logistics, uh, DARPA are working on that. <laughs> and then other things like, uh, you know, um, amphibian c-130s for their special ops mm -hmm. uh so again the defense thing that's that's driving that there's a couple of ideas also to put um classic airplanes uh yeah. the catalina how old is the catalina steve oh 1936 eight, well, something like that so yes it's it's definitely getting its pension isn't it isn't it just, um, but yeah. so um, there's a good couple of ideas to 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 you know they work um but but yeah. put, put turboprops on them so the catalina and uh the albatross see if they, they're yeah, gonna grab an albatross. albatross um and then there's other other uh, ideas as well is is for um you know hybrid or hybrid electric of uh using them as for advanced aerial mobility you know seaplanes mm. you've got uh you've got uh locks you've got fjords uh you've yeah. got communities by the sea and uh there's places there where you could you could touch down a lake um and you could connect remote areas by using seaplanes um mm. um and they're not being used at the moment because they the the cost is too is too much uh so mm. um so yeah really interesting article by jack richardson that is on on uh, whether seaplanes will, will come back yeah he, fl he floated the idea, didn't he? Oh, <laughs> oh God! <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, with, with the with the regional air mobility side of it, I think you've also got the the link there that you can look at hydrogen propulsion with these moving forwards because, actually, being on the side of the water, you've got the right conditions there for producing a lot of hydrogen. Yeah. So, yeah, as we've seen up in in some of the Scottish islands with the hydrogen farms up there. So, um, mm. yeah, I think um, there there is certainly scope for looking at electrification of aircraft that are flying around the Scottish islands and yeah, islands around the, in the Pacific as well. But but also zero emission for you know for somewhere like that the, the Maldives, yeah. uh, where where they're looking at, <laughs> at, at water levels, um, yeah. you know uh, that sort of uh, sustainable um, tourism. Uh, kind of thing that yeah. could be a, re a really good win um mm. what so what else uh bella you went to a conference a defense conference defense uh national space strategy so yes. how was that it was good <laughs> yeah um in december i went to the defense defense space conference um in london and i did already pretty much talk a lot about it in our last um podcast episode but um it's in the magazine now and i actually went a little bit deeper um and i think uh, on top of the other topics that were discussed, which were obviously very interesting about diversity and, of course, the national space strategy, um, one thing that I went into a bit more detail in the um, magazine article was how, because everyone knows about the space skills gap, and you know, it's it's relevant in aviation as well, um, and honestly, a lot of industries, um, and and of course, it's a sore point. Um, but something that Dr. Uh, Heidi Tierman, the co-founder of the Space Skills Alliance, said, and I, and I never, um, I guess, heard it put this way. She uh, talked about how, w which everyone knows that satellite data 
is, is obviously extremely helpful in a war zone. And I think that um, that has been really evident, especially with Ukraine as early on. Um, I think a lot of the public were realizing how important satellite data was, you know, seeing troop movements, things like that. Um, but something that I think is really interesting is she's, she was talking about how I think um, the public seeing satellite data used in, you know, helping with the war zone has kind of helped uh, with space skills. And, and uh, she was talking about how I think people see satellites as so separate to their lives. They see it in helping things that don't affect them. But when they see it help in a war zone that literally affects people's day-to-day -day lives, um, they realize that it actually makes a difference and, and it's actually important. Um, and so she was talking about how, you know, I think it's opened up people's eyes to see that, as we always say, <laughs> as space is not just astronauts and rockets, but it's, you know, some really important information getting to the public through um, Earth observation satellites and things like this. Um, and and I, another point she mentioned was that, uh, and, and not to stereotype it, she said it, naturally a lot of um, like females in school will typically go to um, topics where they they can see that it helps people like instantly. Like, you know, um, uh, she mentioned a few examples, I can't remember right now, but seeing that these satellite images can actually help people instantly, I think really impacts young women who think, oh, wow, this does help people and this does yeah. aid the public. And and so, of course, <laughs> it's in a way, it's sad that this is the thing that has made people realize yeah. that. But it's it's kind of a, a positive spin on, mm. you know, at, at least um, these, you know, tragic events do raise the awareness of the importance of satellites and the space industry being much broader than an astronaut going to the moon or <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, finding out about aliens. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't think the I don't think the idea of uh, imagery from space per se is new because obviously, no. you know, Kronos satellites uh, exactly. back at the start of the the space age keyhole. We, we we've always known, but there's, there's you yeah. know since the in since the well since the invention of the internet. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, you know, I'm old enough to remember the first sort of like, you know, the first sort of satellite images you could download, and they they could they would take ages, and you'd be like, wow, you know, you, you really felt like you were and kind of, um, uh, you know, kind of like, oh, you know, wow, I'm I'm getting access to to uh, to sort of, uh, uh, you know, kind of uh, secret information here. Let's have a look yeah. at Area Area 51. <laughs> um, yeah. um, but the, the, what's what's remarkable about the the uh ukraine thing is the transparency yeah um so you know again uh militaries have, have put the have put the occasional picture out there when they want to kind of reveal something and here's it is a you know well uh cuban missile crisis for for for, for starters yeah. uh yeah. but that was that was u2s and uh rf8 crusaders um but but the, the transparency and using commercial the yeah. stacks of commercial imagery there is now to to basically you know map this war in real time uh catalog war crimes uh there's nasa nasa satellites now that can show where the front line is basically by fires yeah you know and these are there's a wildlife yeah. you know wildlife tracking uh, uh, you know yeah. wildfire tracking uh, kind of satellites but if you if you match them there and you 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 look at Ukraine, you've got the front line. You know that's where exactly. all the, all the fighting is happening. So exactly. yeah, really interesting stuff. So um, mm. um, 
that's yeah another packed issue i think we can say we've also got our usual book reviews we've got library edition we've got the events uh, section and we've got a new berlin brandenburg branch uh, opening in germany yeah. so uh, and we've also got reports on on medals and awards uh, and uh, all the, uh, the the rest of it in our usual section so what have we got coming up uh, upcoming event shout out so uh, steve you and me are off to singapore air show uh, next month February. Yes, that's going to be a good one. Yeah, really, really looking forward to that. It's going to be um, so first time in four years I went to it. Obviously, we had uh, we had the 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 uh, four years ago was the 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 kind of start of COVID. Yeah. Two years ago was the end of COVID. Uh, mm -hmm. So it's going to be interesting to see what's what's going on there. Looking forward to connecting yeah. with people and seeing what's on the all the news uh, that that is happening. Uh, what else have we got going on? You know, we've on on the air show theme. I think I've I don't remember a, a year where the UK air show scene has got off to such a vibrant start in terms of exciting announcements about things coming to shows. Uh, you know, mm. we've we've got you know we're we're only in as we record this about the third or fourth week of, of January, and we're already getting announcements from big shows like uh, like Fairf and Royal, Royal International Institute's confirmed the uh, the Canadian Hornet CF eighteen Hornet for the uh, Canadian Air Force Centenary, um, but then lots of other and we've got um, you know, Midland Airfest who have been a big supporter of ours in the past. Last year they they debuted the Saab Draken um, in the UK. That's coming back, but it's also been joined by an F-86 Sabre and a Vampire. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And then, you know, they've also got a load of the, the Red Bull Air Force coming across from Salzburg. So they've got the DC-6 and the P-38 Lightning. Um, so it's just that the whole season just seems to have a buzz, which it, it's certainly not been like this since pre-COVID. But I think it actually predates that. The You know, the, I think the industry, the airshow industry is just this year. From the, the buzz that it has on social media and from the people that I speak to regularly is really exciting. You know, and we've got good anniversaries coming up as well. 80th anniversary of D-Day this year. So obviously lots of the the UK events are looking at, uh, at marking that. But um, the D-Day squadron are coming across from uh, the US again. They came across, oh, was it five years ago for the 75th? Yeah, five years ago yeah, for the yeah. 75th anniversary. Um, so bringing DC-3, C-47, Dakota's Skytrains, call them what you will, across the Atlantic uh, for the 80th anniversary in Normandy, but stopping off in the UK. Um, so number of events, they're going to be at North Weald and at Duxford. Duxford I believe. Absolutely, yeah. But I think the one I'm particularly excited about is they are flying into a pottery airfield in Devon, which, of course, was the home to Easy Company from where oh, they wow. departed. So they will the, the DA squadron will be there on the 4th and 5th of June loading up the parachutes and then departing for Normandy on the 5th of June, mm. 80 years to the day from when they would have departed. And I think, I mean, just goosebumps that, you know, yeah, yeah. recreate that history from the, from the, the, yeah, the same airfields. Um, so yeah, I just, um, I just think the, the season's just got so much potential and so much promise at the moment. 
Brilliant. Okay. And uh, so uh, also at the uh, the RES uh, itself, uh, we've got some some great events coming on there. Uh, more more learned events, so I would probably sort of say. But we've got mm. our past standards workshop, UAVs, International Standards Certification, Airworthiness. Uh, that is happening uh, tomorrow. So I will be going along to that. And we've got some space, good space stuff coming up, haven't we? Yeah, Barry? we've got the um, leading global change through the Earth and Space Sustainability Initiative conference. Um, on the 12th to the 13th of March, I believe, yep. um, at the headquarters. Yeah, this is going to be really good. It, it's I think it's about two years after King Charles launched the Sustain Space Sustainability Astra Carta. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, just kind of focusing, you know, recognising space's um, kind of ability to, <laughs> you know, significantly help with Earth sustainability um, and kind of present solutions on how we can continue to drive that and specifically how the UK can kind of pioneer um, space sustainability and by extension earth sustainability so that'll be a packed <laughs> packed event but um yeah not to miss mm. uh so that's when we're talking about space sustainability we're, we're talking sort of uh space debris and mm. uh, you know not not only how you get stuff down uh how you get how you clean up junk in in in, in, in low earth orbit but also uh, kind of standards, protocols, yeah. international agreements, um, et cetera, so to, to mm -hmm. don't don't clutter it up in the first place. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which is, uh, yeah, I mean, it's a growing problem. And then then April, we've got energy from space, so space-based solar power, which is a really mm -hmm. exciting uh, thing, 24-7 power from the sun. Yeah. Um, and uh, and if we've got these heavy lift launches that come in like Starship uh, yeah. and other things that are on the drawing board, um, you know, all these sort of sci-fi concepts and people are getting really excited about, about them sort of saying, um, actually, you know, uh, the stuff that we, we looked at in the, the 70s and the 80s and you, you looked at it for, oh, yeah, that's uh, that's never going to happen. <laughs> yeah, there's actually um, the launch capacity to be able yeah, to. Yeah, exactly. um, <laughs> Uh, and then also uh, coming up in May, we've got the Future Combat Air and Space Capabilities Summit, and that is returning. Uh, that is returning in back in May. So uh, um, again, that should be, that was a, a standout event uh, last it year. It really was, yeah. In a number of ways, um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, that, that's one to look forward to as well. Uh, so uh, we're coming up to uh, the uh, talking to the end of this. So um, we've, what we've are we got one more watching? Oh, well, we've one got more one event. more event. Oh, you're right. the return of the quiz night. Quiz night. Yes. The quiz night is back. For so a society late quiz night. Mark your diaries now, 24th of April. I'm starting writing the questions already. If you didn't come last year, you missed a really great event on this. Yeah. It sold out really quickly as well. So yeah. um, um, aviation-themed pub quiz at the Royal yeah. Aeronautical Society in London at 4HP, 4 Hamilton Place, uh, 24th of April. Make sure you're there. Yeah. There will be a square. Yeah. Um, uh, so, yeah, what are we be watching, reading, playing over the past month? Um, anyone like to start? I'll go. Oh, go, Bella. Um, because I can finally tell the podcast that I finally finished my book, <laughs> my <laughs> lift off book by Eric Berger, um, all about SpaceX, its early beginnings. Um, I finally finished it. I know everyone was probably sick of me saying I'm still reading it. But I decided, you know what, I've got to finish this book. It, it was great. It has nothing to do with <laughs> the book itself. It's just that I'm slow with reading nonfiction, as I've mentioned. But um, it was such a fantastic book. Honestly, yeah. I finished, like, the second half so quickly. Even though I knew everything that happened, like, it's not <laughs> it's not brand new information. It's just, uh, I, I mean, I'm biased. I think it's, yeah, the whole 
story of SpaceX and how hard those people worked, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. those especially those first few launches. It's just insane. Um, gosh, I would never want to work at that company. I feel like it would be <laughs> so hard. <laughs> but, yeah, it was just such a great book. Um, and then also, I guess, for Christmas, I feel like I for the first time I got my first aviation or space-related gifts, which was fun. Oh, right. um, I got a Concorde mug, and it's it's not necessarily aesthetic, but it has all this information about Concorde in it. I love it. I got it from my husband. And then I also got a um, rocket model that I have to build. <laughs> so it's apparently, it looks very hard. Um, so I'm pretty excited, but I'll let you guys know when I right, well, finish that. <laughs> Updates well, I, yeah, then on I, the, I the I had Concorde as well. Yeah. I got I got Concord cufflinks, so um, so I can uh, match match your cup. But yes. I've not been wa- I've not been watching or reading anything, Tim. But I've actually been cooking. Um, I, for, so my my little known fact after straight after press day, I tend to go and bay and make a cake to, or do something <laughs> to de-stress in the kitchen. Not not distress, de-stress in the kitchen. Uh, uh, so this year for Christmas, I had cookie cutters in the shape of a Lancaster Spitfire and Hurricane. So and a C forty seven Dakota. So as soon as we yeah. get off the podcast here, and it's just about lunchtime, I'm going to go and ice some D Day stripes onto my gingerbread Dakota. That's uh, oh. going to be the highlight of my lunch hour. The Battle of Britain Memorial flight in flapjack form. And um, you've got it. <laughs> what about you, Tim? So I've been I've been doing a bit more uh, uh, flight simulation. So you you guys know I like I like like my flight simulation. Uh, you know, modern, civil, um, and, and I've been been dipping into the World One. So Ooh, World wow. One with uh, IL Two Flying Circus. Uh, they've come out with a Volume Three. Uh, the third part of this this one they've now got the western front uh, map in uh, summer spring winter autumn uh, things and they've also got some of the, some more um, weird and wonderful uh, airplanes to fly so things like the re8 fe2b uh. you port 70 11 and 17 in vr which is uh, absolute treat uh, oh. in vr particularly uh, you know, you've got the struts around these things, and you see how kind of like archaic and 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 crazy the cockpit. Well, there wasn't cockpit design in those days. They just threw things at yeah, the yeah, editor yeah. and panel, yeah. and, and, <laughs> and and you you put you know switches where you thought thought you know, um, and, and just how just how bloody terrifying World War One aviation is. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, so you know, you're going up there and and, uh, and 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 flying and trying to follow your flight. You know, uh, follow an AI flight into cloud. And you're like, what on earth? I'm I'm lost. I'm here. I could be upside down. There's no, there's no artificial horizon. You've got no GPS. Um, and and uh, so so it's it's really, it's kind of living history again, and 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 kind of revisiting the early aviators, and and, and kind of, uh, uh, you know, the, the the whole Biggles thing. Biggles yeah. Biggles of the, the, the of two six six, and the, the the camels are coming. You know, um, you look at that and you go. What on earth were these people doing? And if, if they've got the flight <laughs> dynamics right on these things, you've got to yeah. fly them every second. And you can't take your hands off. Yes, I mean, I've not, yes. not flown anything World War, but I've got a few hours on Tiger Moths over the years. And it, even that, yeah, that's an aeroplane that you have to fly. You can't necessarily yeah. trim it. And, you know, it doesn't fly in the same way that a modern day aeroplane does. So if uh, the and... flight dynamics are right on World War One, that's, I mean, I wouldn't want to fly out of cloud, let alone in cloud. That's going to no, be really interesting and, and to the, see. And the, the damage modelling in, in IL-2 as well, flying circus is such as well, especially with the World War One planes, is that you can, uh, not only can you shoot it off aircraft, because obviously that's, uh, we're in World War One and things, you know, that's mm-hmm. what sort of people are trying to do, but you can, you can overstress the airframe. You know, yeah. you can, you can go into a dive. Yeah. And you'll see the wing collapse, and, and that's particularly terrifying in in, in VR to see that wings <laughs> yeah. fold fold oh around you, and and uh, and luckily you've got the, 
you luckily you've got the refly button but you, you you know you think back yeah. you think how many yeah. how many people this did this happen to before someone went uh you know someone this is the max dive speed yeah i'm guessing in the, vr you've got to be careful you don't fall off your seat as well haven't you in the, yeah. uh, <laughs> the desktop is <laughs> injuries that yes. realistic yes um, yeah work related to injuries yes uh, uh, <laughs> spray have a fan there going uh, going in my face and spray <laughs> castor oil for the full experience oh um anyway and have you have you got a, a scarf with a little bit of wire in as well that sticks yeah, out like that's, that's used next to have. on the list that's actually yeah. on the list for the virtual cockpit um yeah <laughs> right okay uh, on with that on that note on that bombshell yeah um, where can people keep up to date with the royal aeronautical society and the magazine shall i go first <laughs> go on um, go on i am i am still on twitter or x as r-a-e-s steve b i'm on linkedin and facebook as stephen bridgewater with a ph stephen with a ph and you can follow the aerospace magazine via the Aeros royal aeronautical society website which is aerospace.com Sorry, AeroSociety.com. Uh, uh, Aero right, yeah, more coffee. Uh, Bella, where are you? Uh, yeah, I'm simply on X uh, at R-A-E-S Bella R. Brilliant, okay. Thanks, and I'm I'm still, uh, still tweeting, posting, Xing, uh, whatever you want to call it, R-A-S, uh, Tim R, uh, and uh, yeah, um, AeroSociety or um, AeroSociety. Aerospace Insight is where mm. the uh, our twice weekly blog is. As ever, any views, questions, feedback, uh, mm -hmm. things you'd like to hear on the podcast, things you'd like to uh, to uh, us to discuss or cover, uh, do send them in. And we are now on SoundCloud, Spotify, and iTunes, uh, and I think mm -hmm. Apple Podcasts as well. So. Uh, uh, whatever your favourite streaming service, whatever your favourite podcast service, we're now on. Uh, we're now kind of uh, growing on all of them. So uh, yeah, hopefully um, we'll. Well, hopefully we will see you next next month then. Uh, <laughs> goodbye, you. everybody. Bye, right, guys. Take care. See you soon. Goodbye. Bye.